global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Now a down day for both the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 Index. The S&P hovering at a record now at 2179, down a point and a half. That's a drop of about 0.1%. Dow Industrials also down by 0.1%, falling 16 points to 18,000. 512. NASDAQ holding on to a gain up 8 points to 52.21. If you're keeping track, record on uh, NASDAQ, 52.28.71. Uh, a gain right now of two tenths of 1%. Tenure up 15.30 seconds at yield 1.54%. And gold higher by 6.40 the ounce up 5 tenths of 1% to 1342. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. The shares of Valiant Pharmaceuticals higher right now by more than 20%, even though it posted a wider loss in its latest quarter. But the company says it's going to reorganize and continuing to remake itself as a conventional pharmaceutical firm. Here to tell us more is Liz Kutahalo, specialty pharma and biotech analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. And you can follow Liz on Twitter at Liz underscore Kutahalo. Liz, thanks very much for joining us. Tell us about Valiant Pharmaceuticals and why is the stock surging? Yeah, so most people were pretty happy to see that guidance had been maintained for the year. We were expecting to see potentially uh, some color around whether or not they expected they could still meet their guidance on revenue and EPS and EBITDA, which they do say they can do despite the fact that 2Q did not look all that promising on those metrics. Now, do they have to reaffirm their guidance in order to manage the debt covenants that they have with their lenders? Yeah, so that's certainly part of it. So most of their debt covenants are tied to their EBITDA ratios, and so that's something that we need to watch very carefully and make sure that they are maintained. Otherwise, the debt repayments could accelerate. So one of the interesting things that came up in the call today was they have divested several small assets, nothing too large, but they did indicate that they've received interest on what could potentially be a larger deal, and that could be something that would be about $2 billion in revenue but could get them an additional $8 billion for debt repayment. So that may be something that they look to to maintain that guidance to make sure that they do actually meet the EBITDA guidance and repay their debts for the year. The chief executive of Valiant, Joe Papa, is he going to remake this company so that it looks nothing like the Valiant of big acquisitions and big price increases? So that's the goal here, and that's certainly what we would like to see. Um, that's what most investors are really looking for, a complete turnaround in strategy, as it's clear that the strategy of growing simply through M&A and price increases really is no longer sustainable. So Papa comes from Perigo, which is mostly a generic and consumer health company. So there are some synergies with the Valiant portfolio, and I think on the consumer health side, he can do a really nice job with that. And he's done a pretty good job of leading a turnaround at Perigo. So we're expecting that, you know, that's essentially why the board brought him on to take over from Pearson. Now, another stock in the pharmaceutical industry that is surging today is Endo International. The shares there are higher by more than 21 percent right now. Tell us about Endo. So Endo is an interesting company. They are sort of on the 
fence in terms of whether or not they are a generics company or a specialty company. They're quite divided. However, they made an acquisition of Par Pharmaceuticals last year in September that puts them much more focused on the generic side. So basically in one queue, we saw a huge impact on pricing, and it was very detrimental to their earnings. They basically expect to see continuation of that erosion throughout the year. So we're expecting a bigger hit in 2Q than we actually saw. So that's some renewed enthusiasm there that perhaps that 1Q was a one-time effect and that it should moderate through the rest of the year. The company is still guiding towards that 5% decline each quarter. So that's something we need to keep an eye on and make sure that people don't get a little too enthusiastic about the surprise in 2Q. Thank you very much for spending time with us. Liz Crudahalo is our specialty pharma and biotech analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. Of course, Bloomberg Intelligence providing unique and real-time research and context in a variety of industries, as well as markets and government factors that affect business. Our terminal customers can access this function at B. I go. We turn now to politics, and I'd like to bring in Mark Halpern. He is, of course, the co-author of the book Game Change and host of Bloomberg TV's With All Due Respect. It can be seen weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, as well as weeknights at 5 p.m. on Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington, D.C. Mark Halpern, thank you very much for being here. Let's begin by just reviewing the speech that Donald Trump made yesterday at the Detroit Economic Club. What has been the reaction to his economic proposals? Very favorable reaction from the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which is a pretty good uh, arbiter of uh, where sort of mainstream center-right thinking is. They criticize his policies on trade, which they disagree with, but they liked much of the rest of what he did. I don't think you saw very much uh, what we call man-by-dog reaction, which is to say, Democrats uh, criticized the plan in 17 different ways. Uh, I think Republicans were generally supportive. And a lot of Republicans pleased to see Trump talking about some of the orthodox positions of the Republican Party, like tax cutting, less regulation, changing the Affordable Care Act. But some Republican senators not swayed by his speech on economics. Indeed, uh, GOP Senator Susan Collins says she's not going to be supporting Donald Trump. Can we expect more of this? Pretty big defection, and I do think it will lead to more. You know, Donald Trump will say, and I think he's quite right, that you'd rather have Republican voters than Republican politicians at a time when Washington and political figures are not in particularly high regard. At the same time, Susan Collins is a very respected figure. She made her announcement that she wasn't going to vote for Trump in an opinion piece in the Washington Post in which she basically laid most of it off to questions about his temperament and judgment, uh, particularly his conflict of uh, recent conflict with the Kahn family. This is the exact argument that Hillary Clinton is making against Donald Trump. It's centered to her argument that to have a respected figure in the Republican Party basically say, I agree with Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump doesn't have the right temperament to be president. It's a pretty damning thing, and I do think Trump will almost certainly see more defections and some perhaps as a direct result of what Susan Collins has done. All right, Susan Collins, a Republican senator from Maine. Third-party candidates, Mark Halpern, uh, whether it is the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, or a new entrant, an independent candidate, Evan McMullen. He's going to be a guest on With All Due Respect today. Tell us about third-party candidates. Well, it's very hard in this country that so favors uh, the two major parties uh, to break through at any level, particularly the presidential level, without fame and vast fortune. 
uh, or some pretty clear issue differences with the two major party candidates. You've now got a green candidate, a libertarian candidate, and now this independent candidate, a Republican, who's running after a day, uh, making it pretty clear that he's opposed to both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. I think the the issue for all of them is can they get that virtuous cycle going in politics? You want to raise money, uh, have people hear about your raising money, take you seriously, your poll numbers go up, you get more media attention because people see that you're rising in the polls and raising money, and then off that media attention you raise more money and your poll numbers continue to go up. So can he get that virtuous cycle going? Can the libertarians, can the green ideas matter for sure and all three of the all three of those parties are have fielded candidates who are clearly are looking to uh expand their uh their reach based on ideas but but they need money they need access to the media they need to have the polls go up and obviously all three of them would like to see their poll numbers go up high enough that they can get into the presidential debates does evan mcmullen have what it takes to get on the ballot in utah to the point where he denies donald trump what has typically voted as a Republican state. Well, he's from Utah. He is a Mormon, and 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 certainly as he looks at the states where he can do well, that'd be near at or near the top of the list. He says he's running to win and needs a lot more than just not just Utah, but perhaps other Western states with large Mormon populations. And he does have to solve the puzzle of how to get on the ballot, even in states where the deadlines haven't passed. It's still a difficult task to gather the signatures and fulfill the other requirements. So. Utah is certainly an intriguing possibility, but it's not the only state he plans to compete in. Just to pick up on what you just uh, mentioned a moment ago about the presidential debates, what would it take for uh, the libertarian uh, candidate, let's say Gary Johnson or Green Party nominee Jill Stein or indeed Evan McMullen, to actually be at one of those lecterns in one of the three presidential debates? Well, the Commission on Presidential Debates has said you need to be at 15 percent in a series of national polls in order to qualify Donald Trump has said, uh, he said again as recently as today to Time magazine, that he wants a say in some of the dimensions of this, uh, of how the debates work. The uh, Nothing magic about the 15% threshold. Trump has also said that he'd like one-on-one with Hillary Clinton. He doesn't want other candidates on the stage. And I suspect that he will try to use his leverage, uh, to the extent he has any, to make sure that other candidates aren't on the stage, assuming that he really does want that one-on-one that he says he does. If one of those third-party candidates does get on the stage, who does that help? Who does that hurt? You know, I've asked a lot of my best sources about that, and there's mixed feelings about it. I don't think there's any clear answer to it. At this point, my guess is Trump probably is right that he's better off one-on-one simply because as, as he's behind, and he needs to try to kind of get a clean shot at the person who's ahead of him now. Thank you very much, Mark Halpern. He is, of course, co-host of, with all due respect, co-managing editor of Bloomberg Politics. With all due respect, weeknights, 5 p.m. on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington, D.C. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.